Brought to you by Brainy Stem, this is your Criterion Companion. My name is Corey Pike, and joining me as always is Mr. Justin Berquist. Hello, hello. So we're doing episode number one, Justin. Yes, not zero this time. Not zero. We're going we're gonna to dive right in. This is the official premiere episode. It's got that uh, brand new feel, right? We got that smell. That brand new podcast smell. Exactly. All right, so just a reminder, what we do here is we choose a spine number from the Criterion Collection. We get together here once a month and we discuss that movie. So as we announced last time, the first movie we're tackling is spine number 453, and that is Wong Kar Wai's Chung King Express. Justin, you've been looking forward to this? Yes. I, uh, uh, Wong Kar Wai is one of my favorite directors, so... I'm, I'm always, it's always a joy for me to come back and look at his films. So just to mention, we are doing a um, pretty detailed um, look at the film. So there are going to be spoilers uh, coming up. So um, if you have not already watched the movie, I would suggest doing so. This movie was your suggestion. It was. What's your history with this film? When Do you remember the first time you saw it? Um, oh, man. It was probably like 10 years ago. I think it was during the time when I was kind of hopping on SDSU film sets. It might have been right around whenever I met you and our uh, buddy Dimitri there in Australia. Um, I know he was a big Wong Kar Wai fan, I think, at that point. Um, I don't know how I got rec- or got recommended the film. Um, I, oh, I know I did see Fallen Angels before I watched Chunking Express, which was another film of his he did afterwards which uh, actually is in a way connected to Chunking Express. So this is my first time viewing this film. This is uh, this was from 1994, and it's the story of two cops and their quest for love in modern Hong Kong. Um, so give me your thoughts um, from the from the most recent time you've watched this. Oh, uh, it was a good time because, uh, you know, you, you might be getting over girls, say, theoretically, and you watch the film, and like Wong Kar Wai's films... Uh, are very bittersweet, it seems like at times, and kind of uh, melancholy. And this one has that, but there's kind of a hopefulness to it, a little optimism, especially at the end of the film. Um, I don't know. I loved it. It was the thing I liked about it was it felt so alive, you know. It 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 was so even just the camera movement. It's like pseudo documentary kind of you know new wave style, and I just I love the energy I guess in the film. You know, it's just very un Hollywood kind of dirty too and you can feel the grime in the, in the city that they're shooting it's got this kinetic feeling like the quick cuts and the uh, yeah. disjointed camera movements um so it has kind of uh the word I, th- I was thinking when i watched it was immediacy like it has this immediacy that this film needs to be um recognized and you need to watch it um because it has something to say yeah well and it's funny because it does feel like it takes place over a few days like, it's not, you know, like a big epic film. It's very, um, oh, what's the word? Very confined to a specific time. What did you think of the plot, I guess, and the kind of, like, story that it, the film kind of tells? That's what I was kind of going to go through. Um, like I said, these are two separate stories. You have Cop 223, who's been dumped by his girlfriend, um, and he's buying these pineapples with an expiration date of his birthday. And the thought is, she will come back to me by the time of my next birthday. Um, he comes across the uh, Bridget Lynn character, um, and their their paths cross 
Um, but it's still, it, it's left in the air until the end of his story when he gets a particular text message. So then about halfway through the movie, um, you've got this other story taking over of this other cop. And he also has this love that um, hasn't sort of worked out with him. Um, the center of this story is Chunking Express, which is this restaurant in the middle of Chunking Mansion. And here he meets uh, he meets the Faye character um, and she becomes enamored with him. And she starts to move into his life in in different ways, some of them a little nefarious. Um, so there's two desperate stories. And although the characters sort of the characters sort of share the same space in a few instances, um, for the most part, the two stories are completely separate. Yeah, when I was watching, I was trying to think of the timeline with it. Did, did you have an idea? Because I know at some point, um, Faye, right, the girl that works at um, the Chunking uh, like the noodle place where the guy keeps getting the chef salad. Mm-hmm. He, at his apartment, he has a big stuffed animal and she changed it out to a Garfield at some point. And this is the second story we're talking about. But the first story, Bridget Lynn's character, uh, she's walking out of a store somewhere and right next to her, Faye's walking out of another store with uh, Garfield. And so I was trying to figure out the timeline for it because... um. Yeah, it seemed like it almost happened all at the same time. It's, it's strange. Well, I think that's kind of part of um, it ties into sort of one of the themes of uh, particularly the first story, which is this concept of time. Um, he's buying these pineapples that have a particular expiration date on them. He's expecting her to come back to him at this specific date. Um and, you know, there's also like there's a close up of that clock that sort of ticks over to the yeah. next uh, like mo- to the next minute. Motif. So there's this motif of time going on. And I think kind of putting these stories and then just this, these little instances where these two stories over overtake each other, um, that kind of ties into that that feeling of time and how time sort of is important um, to these characters. For instance, um, the password to cop two, two, threes. Pager service is love you for 10,000 years. Um, so mm-hmm. there's always these um, these recurring measurements of time that are happening. Yeah. Yeah. And it's funny. That's a, a something that in his other films, he always uh, brings back time and change and things constantly changing, it seems like. Um, and yeah, it's definitely in this film. So I think um, one thing I wanted to um, talk to you about is um, talking about this time is how the cinematography um, kind of ties into that. Like I said before, it's got this kinetic shooting and editing that seems like the camera is always moving except for certain times. Like, for instance, when Cop 223 is in the um, hotel with Bridget Lynn, um, the camera is very static. Um, there's almost no movement. And so it's it's almost like time slows down in this particular instance, particularly for this cop. Yeah, it's all handheld. And one of the things that I noticed that was strange was like, well, every shot is handheld, it feels like. But there's one particular shot where um, cop 223 is outside um, his kind of ex-lover's apartment or house, and he's kicking a can. And it's like they're up the camera is angled down and there's a zoom 
and it I, I could never I couldn't pick out any other zooms in the film except for that one moment and was just it was just strange and I don't know if there is any reason why they did the zoom um you know he was there I think wanting to talk to her but she wasn't around um yeah the I love this it shot on 35 millimeter film too it's gorgeous what'd you think of the uh what do they call it stop printing where the kind of the character is running you know the opening shot is basically him chasing a perp and it's this weird kind of it's almost like photographs flashing across the screen and it's like almost slow motion it's really an interesting kind of cinema uh cinema technique would you would you think about that that was I, I really love it especially in this i feel like horror films have kind of ripped that off or at least i don't know maybe they invented it i haven't really analyzed where that went but i love the kind of like making the characters these kinds of photographs as the scene moves. Well, I think that kind of cinematography is very useful for this because um, it gives an immediacy um, to the story. And, you know, we were talking about time. And since you brought up the cinematography as well, I wanted to bring up a couple shots to you um, and get your thoughts on them. So there's a shot of the second cop and he's standing at a jukebox. His movement is incredibly slow. Oh, yeah, yeah, okay. But the background behind him is moving incredibly fast. Do you know yep. which shot I'm talking about? I do. Uh, yeah, he, they do a couple shots like that. I think there's the scene where he's drinking the coffee. Um, Tony Lung shows up, and then basically Faye is going to give him the letter that's left, and then basically he doesn't want to read the letter. So he goes and he's he's like, I'm going to finish my coffee. And so he sits there and he brings slowly brings the cup of coffee up to his lips. And then she's just on the counter like she's got her head on it. And just watching him. It's like, oh, it's such a great shot. But yeah, the, the part where isn't he? He's putting a coin in the jukebox or, or the uh, right. Yeah, it's a great. It, I think they just he's basically just moving in slow motion. Like I think the director, Wong Kar Wai, told him, hey, move very slow. Just put the coin in and just go. And then we're going to have everything speed up uh, behind you. It's uh, it's a great um, technique. I'd love to hear more about how they um, how they got that shot. Perhaps uh, somebody can let us know, or a, a friend of the show, Dimitri Zonders, might have um, some uh, insights into how um, they actually pulled that off, which would be kind of cool. I assume they undercranked the camera to get the everybody sp- sped up in the background, and then they just, you know, in post... Oh man, it's all mechanical though because it's film. Um, yeah, it's uh, you think about it now, it's so easy with the digital stuff. Um, yeah, it's really cool. Yeah, but it does it that that technique does definitely tie into what you're talking about time and kind of you know stretching it out and taking moments and making them last longer for sure. But that's an interesting way of putting it. It seems like these uh, these characters want to make these moments last for as long as possible. Um, for instance, when Cop 223 is in the hotel with Bridget Lynn, it's like he wants this moment to suspend itself in time. Um, yeah. And so, you know, I think the camera work kind of also does that because it's very still and it's very subdued. Um, and it's, so it's like taking this moment and just stretching it. And that ties in with that, with that shot we were talking about. Oh yeah. And even, well, even his, um, you know, the whole theme and the motif of expiration and, you know, their love is expired. And at the end, he even says that, you know, if, 
if memories were in a can, I hope there would there would never be an expiration date for it. Um, so that makes co- total sense that he's trying to make a moment last forever, even though it can't. Um, and that totally plays into his kind of tragic worldview, I think. So I wanted to talk to you about um, my favorite character from this movie. And that is the Fei Wong character um, in the second story that the second cop meets and she kind of becomes enamored with him. Um, what did you think of this character? Uh, I, I loved her. She was, you know, she was like the manic pixie girl before, I guess, that trope started to occur. <laughs> um, although she, her hair is not different colors. Or is it? Is it colored? I'm trying to remember. Um, I loved her. She was she was hilarious, you know? She would uh, break into somebody's apartment instead of stealing things, clean it because she loves them. Uh, it was great. Yeah, I love how she begins to sort of insert herself into his life. You know, she changes the toothbrush cup. Um, she waters the plant. She brings new fish. So it's like she's creating this life for the two of them, but he doesn't even know that it's taking place. Yeah. Oh, yeah. They, it's almost like they go through a relationship in a way because they even have a fight where I think she discovers a hair in his bed. <laughs> And then she floods the apartment, right? Doesn't he come home and like the apartment's flooded and he's like, oh, what happened? And like little did he know she was in there angry at him. Mm. Um, like we, we kind of touched on it earlier, but the thing I really like about the film is it's kind of, you know, there's a lot of French New Wave kind of references in there. I mean, even Faye's haircut, right, is kind of uh, an ode to Breathless. And, you know, the jump cuts, obviously very French New Wave and... Uh, um personal kind of you can tell it's a very personal film uh, but i love that there's this kind of like almost romantic nihilism in it where these characters are just kind of trying to find their places in the world and just trying to find love but you get this feeling this world's so chaotic and crazy and like they're just looking for these moments you know maybe these moments in time where they can be happy and um yeah i love the uh it just kind of like his view of the world it's, it's very romantic even if it's seems nihilistic you know because it's a little amoral you know you got the um um bridget character right bridget bridget lynn um and she's you know sm- drug smuggling she kidnaps a kid at one point um so it, it the film doesn't seem to be judging anyone morally which i, I enjoy because it's kind of like he just kind of lets everything happen and tries to find these moments of beauty it seems like in the film. Agreed. Oh, what I found interesting too, uh, well, you know how like uh, Godard said, right? It was like, all you need to make a movie is a woman and a gun. And it seems like the Bridget Lynn character is, is that character exactly, you know? And she's even got a wig, which what uh, some people claim is kind of a reference to Hitchcock. Um, yeah. So uh, there's definitely a, a huge French new wave influence on um, Wong Kar Wai. What do you uh what do you think of the acting in the film? I love the acting. Um particularly the Fei Wong character. Um I thought she was just a delight. Um she's really always moving in the frame. Um she's I guess this was her first role. Um and yeah, she's she a was singer, a singer, right? She was a pop singer um before she acted in this film. So, um it's it's kind of her growing into herself as a character. Um, and as she gets more comfortable in front of the camera, um, you, it just makes her more and more endearing. Yeah, and I love, uh, she sings a couple of the songs, right, on the soundtrack. 
um, in the film, which is kind of interesting. It seems like Wong Kar Wai likes casting singers, because um, isn't um, Cop Two Two Three wasn't isn't he a singer too, or am I wrong? I don't could know. be wrong on that. Um, but I know that he casted um, in Blueberry Nights, his one American film that everybody I, I think didn't like. Although I think it's all right. Like I don't think it's that bad. Um, he casted oh, what's her name? Nora Jones was cast in Blueberry Nights, um, who's also another singer. So I I don't know what that is. Um, or maybe he's just more attached to the music and kind of talks to him and decides to build a film around him. But yeah, I love the um, I love the acting in it because it doesn't feel like acting. It feels very... I mean, it, a lot of this, I, I wonder how much of it's improvised. Um, you know, because especially with like the very French New Wave, like I know that like a lot, a lot of times the... The script screenplay pages are written the day of, and they kind of improvise scenes and build it as they go. And I know that whenever Wong Kar Wai makes a film, it does seem to take forever. There's been plenty of projects where, uh, like, his cinematographers had to leave, um, and that a lot of times he'll have two cinematographers on, on a film. Um, so I wonder that probably lends itself to kind of this this believe you know this real world authenticity you kind of get um, from his films. I thought we might take a moment um, and discuss kind of the presentation of the film as a member of the Criterion Collection, what you might have thought about the the actual presentation of the film um, to people who might not know it so well. Uh, you know what? I, I mean, I, you know, I love Criterion Collection films. Send us movies. Um, I liked it. I mean, uh, I, I'll be honest, I didn't go... Th- I, a long time ago, I went through the special features. I don't... It's pretty light. Um, there's a... The, the thing I love about the Criterion films is they'll send... They'll have an essay in there by a film critic. And uh, I know this essay was pretty interesting to me. Um, Electric Youth uh, by Amy Tabin. Tab- um, yeah, I don't know. What would you think? I, I know you consume the special features a lot more than I do in the Criterion films. Um, in fact, that's kind of like one of the, the big pluses, right, that you uh, you like about the film series. So the special features, I thought, were a little light on this. There is a, a fantastic commentary track um, that really gives some uh, in-depth into the uh, filmmaking and, and Wong Kar Wai's process. Um, mm. and, that auto, uh, and that audio commentary is by uh, Tony Raines, um, and he knows Wong Kar Wai. Um, he also knows the uh, two cinematographers, um, Chris Doyle and Andrew Lau. Um, uh-huh. So he really has like a, a, a very good perspective on the making of the film and, and brings up some some very interesting points. Aside from the commentary track, um, I was kind of hoping for more um, in the way of special features, like what I would have loved to see if I had a wish for a special feature on this disc would be an, uh, would be interviews with Chris Doyle and Andrew Lau, um, on how they, um, made this film come to life, especially working with Wong Kar Wai. Well, I know I remember seeing a while ago, there's, I don't know, some sort of news station kind of does this short segment on Christopher Doyle and they walk the streets of Hong Kong and they kind of go to some of the locations and he talks about shooting and how they were, you know, neon was huge, but it was, it was pretty good. What was the process they kind of talked about that he does? It's kind of improvisational and he kind of like builds it as he goes. Yeah. But he kind of builds it as goes is a, is a good way of putting it. Um, I guess, um, he worked with, um, Chris Doyle a lot. 
um, Christopher oh, yeah. Doyle a lot. And um, I guess they had a falling out, so they haven't really worked to worked with each other again. The only no. other real damn shame. The only other real um, special feature is the BBC Television segment that features uh, Wong Kar Wai and Christopher Doyle. Um, but what I wanted was a very in-depth um, interview with the cinematographers um, to find out how they made this film come to life. So how about just some parting impressions um, of, uh, of the film itself? I don't know. Those images that you bring up, especially the one with him in front of the jukebox, stick in my head. Um, yeah, the stop printing, step printing is, is fantastic. Because it's just like, my, my thing is always like, if you watch a film and a year later you think of it, like there should be a few images that stick in your head. And there's definitely a few that stick in my head here. You know, I love the, uh, the, the scene with the stewardess and the plane. Oh, it's great. Um, yeah, there's, it's just, it's so rich and visual, which is the thing I love about the film. And I love the tone, you know, um, what, what about you? What, what would you say your favorite scene was in the film? Do you have one? Um, my favorite scene would be more like a segment of when she is, um, breaking into his apartment, when Faye Wong is breaking into, um, Tony Leung's apartment, um, and making it her own. So, so like say. that montage sequence yes. with, and she puts on the uh, stewardess outfit and that's great. Yeah. Yeah. It definitely seems like it's a very nineties movie and alienation like this, you know, being lost in a big city. Um, it definitely seems like that's a theme that's in there too. I completely agree. So you want to wrap it up there? I think so. I think now would be a good time that we can go ahead and announce the, uh, the next film that we're discussing. How about that? Sure. So the next film we're going to be choosing is from 1979. It is spine number 888, and that is Andrei Tarkovsky's Stalker. One of my favorite films. So I haven't seen it before. Um, what do you think I should be expecting? Uh, it's a very slow movie. I'm just going to warn you about it. Definitely, you know, have a giant bottle of wine ready when you watch it. Because it, it can be slow at times. I think it's a beautiful film, though. We'll see what you think. All right. If you'd like to share your thoughts with us, you can find us on Twitter at Spine Number. You can also find us on Facebook at Criterion Companion. Criterion Companion is a part of Brainy Stem, where you can find other pop culture related podcasts, and you can find those at BrainyStem.net. On Twitter and Instagram, you can find me at, at underscore Pika Lele. That's P I K E L E L E. And then you can find Justin on Instagram at Justin underscore Burquist. So with that, I think we'll see you next time when we talk about Stalker. Rainy stand.